Many of us listen to and have been influenced by all types of music. But not only are we influenced by the music, we are also influenced by the artists who create the music. And that is just what my next guest is talking about, the extraordinary impact of artists. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Today, I am having a conversation with eight-time Grammy-winning bassist, composer, and band leader, Christian McBride. And since our conversation, Christian was also one of the top honorees at the inaugural Jazz Music Awards held in Atlanta. I always enjoy talking to Christian. In addition to being an amazing artist, he is also an amazing person. Enjoy our conversation and see show notes for more information about Christian. Wow, I have the great Christian McBride on our show today. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone, Christian. I am so happy to speak with you, my friend Ramona. I, it's been a long time, and um, uh, uh, for, for, forgive me, uh, Dr. Houston, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Well, thank you so much. We are now in season three, and you're one of our first guests for season three after about 160-something interviews. And so I'm so happy to have you. Well, I, I'm exceptionally excited to know that I'm, I'm in the pantheon of these incredible people who you've interviewed. Yeah, so for uh, our audience who... Uh, have been living on Mars or something and don't know much <laughs> about you and your work. Can you please tell us uh, about uh, your work as an artist, as a musician, as one of those uh, who have also been uh, not only producing music, but producing shows uh, and all the work you've done as an educator and as a um uh, person who has done a lot of work in, in producing festivals and all types of musical uh, performances across the country and world. Uh, let us know a little bit about your background. Um, well, after all of those wonderful things, um, you know, such a effusive, elaborative, uh, e e elaborate uh, descriptions of things that I've done, at the end of the day, I like to say that I'm just a bass player. Hmm. <laughs> um, I've spent most of my life playing the acoustic bass, also known as the stand-up bass and the electric bass um, because of my father. My father, Lee Smith, is a professional bass player. My great uncle is also a professional bass player. So I come, I come from a family of bass players. And uh, I started playing the electric bass when I was nine. I started playing the upright bass when I was 11. And I grew up in the bass-rich city of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was very uh, fortunate to grow up in an atmosphere where I was surrounded by music. And I mean all kinds of music 
R&B, soul, jazz, classical, rock, uh, all, all, and we have one of the, we, well, Philadelphia still has one of the greatest uh, symphony orchestras in the world. So I grew up watching and listening to all kinds of great, great artists from across a wide spectrum. And um, I met Wynton Marcellus when I was in high school and being around Wynton helped me focus and sort of narrow my ambitions down to wanting to be a serious jazz musician uh, because there was something about the freedom inside of jazz that attracted me. Uh, most styles of music, uh, so-called genres of music, have very distinct rules inside of them. Um, in order for a particular music to be what it is, it has a certain rhythm, it has a certain thing that has to be done. Whereas in jazz, you certainly have rules, but you are more than uh, you're more than welcome to push those rules or kind of twist those rules, change those rules if you want, you know. And so there was something about that challenge and the freedom of uh, you know instantaneous uh, compositions, because that's basically what improvisation is. Um, you're writing a song right on the spot. Uh, that seemed like such a big challenge, uh, a, a <laughs> fun challenge. And not to mention, and this is where I think social impact is, uh, this, this is a direct link to that. Uh, when I met Wynton, I was uh, 14 and he was uh, 25. And even at age 25 in 19, 86. Um, he was already a household name. He was already a star. He had already won, I think, four Grammys at that point or something like that. Uh, he had already been regarded as one of the uh, greatest young uh, classical trumpet players of all time. And uh, so when I saw this young black man wearing a suit, wearing these glasses, playing a trumpet, and becoming very successful at it uh, in the midst of what was going on, you know, in 1986. So, you know, like, New Edition was hot. Um, you know, obviously Prince, Michael Jackson, um, you know, Whitney Houston was just about to, just to break huge. Yep. Yep. You know, and so, like, but he looked nothing like anybody who was a pop star, you know, Prince, Michael Jackson, Rick James, all of that stuff. Um, I would see him in interviews and he would be, you know, he would quote um, Albert Murray or, uh, or Langston Hughes or Paul Lawrence Dunbar mm. and uh, Stanley Crouch and, I was like, man, who is this guy, right? So there was a whole generation of young, uh, primarily boys, young black boys who saw him and was like, you know, we want to do that, you know, because we like the fact that he's smart. 
but he's still down. He's not out there acting like a, a, a clown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our parents like him. Our grandparents like him. Uh, he always hangs out with the young cats and try to give, you know, give them uh, one-on-one, uh, you know, advice and, and, and uh, leadership, you know. So uh, he became a very important part of my teenage years. And then I moved to New York to go to Juilliard, and um, I knew that all my jazz heroes lived in New York, so I wanted mm-hmm. to move. I wanted to be close to them, so I came to town, and um, I started working with a lot of great uh, jazz legends who I looked up to, like Freddie Hubbard and uh, McCoy Tyner, Joe Henderson, uh, Bobby Hutcherson, as well as my peers like Roy Hargrove and Mark Whitfield. Um, Stephen Scott, and um, you know, somewhere along the way, I won a couple of Grammys, had a couple of really cool bands, uh, which in which included your husband, the great Terion Gully, and um, you know, uh, all this other stuff that I wound up doing that don't have much to do with playing the bass, you know, like uh, arts administration. Uh, curatorial positions. Uh, I actually don't, uh, radio, I actually don't know where any of that came from. (laughs) (laughs) I can honestly say I don't know where that came from. It just, I I just love music. Uh, I love being what some would call a musicologist because I just don't like music. I try to study music. I try to get inside of the music. Who makes it? What's the personality of the people who make it? why did it sound like it sounded when it sounded like this you know i i i'm i'm one of those uber nerds i i get deep down in the in the woods yeah well you know when you when you're in your gift you know yeah. and your gift being music uh and playing music and studying music like you said you're a nerd when you're in your gift then opportunities find you right yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's how the radio and being the music director and producer and all of those other opportunities come about and when you were talking i don't know if i ever told you this before but it uh, made me think uh back which you <laughs> uh you know i am a former musician until i met the real musicians <laughs> I was playing uh, flute and tenor saxophone. Yes. And you came to the University of Houston when, I mean, University of Texas when I was a graduate student. Uh, and that had to be around 96, 98, somewhere wow. around, around in there. And you did a master class and stuff yes. like that. And I happened to be in the audience. We'll have to look and see when that was. Oh, but that was my before. Gosh. Before um, Terion started playing uh, uh, with you yes. uh, in CMB, I, I remember that well because I I never went to uh, you know I, I don't I've never gone to Texas that often so all the gigs <laughs> I've ever had in Texas I tend to remember them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can I can remember. So that is that when you were telling me uh, when you were sharing your background, I thought about that. And, that uh, is wild. Isn't that something? Um, uh, but it's so good to hear how you know. It's amazing how 
individuals make an impact on your life and they never know. I, I mean, right. I don't, I'm sure you've probably shared all of this with Winton since then. Oh, yeah. But, it, but oh, at yeah. the time, Winton uh, probably did not know how much of an impact and, and influence he was having on individuals uh, and young people such as yourself at a young age, yeah. which eventually influenced you to pursue uh, a career in music. Right. And so when you look at music and here at the Empowerment Zone, we're all about empowerment and impact. How do you think that music has influenced the empowerment of marginalized groups as well as impacted our society in a positive way? Yes, yes. Well, long before I got into jazz, and you know this, uh, my boyhood hero has always been James Brown. <laughs> and um, one day my own mother asked me she's like you know why do you love James Brown so much you know I, I get that his music is funky and he's, a, he's an exciting performer but like I've never seen anybody get like that obsessed with an artist before and you know, I was never one of the I was never like the type of obsessed artist that would try to find out where he was staying and, and go stalk him. I was never a stalker, but I wanted to know, like, why his music sounded like that. And uh, so one thing that's hard for a lot of people to know or, or to realize is that when I was a kid, I got bullied a lot. I got teased a lot because I was always physically bigger than other kids. I, I was considered dorky. I was a nerd. I had these big teeth. I listened to Motown. So I was always like, I was like 10 to 15 years behind what all of my contemporaries were listening to. So I'm in elementary school and everybody's talking about Michael Jackson or, or Rick <laughs> James. Uh, and I'm talking about the Temptations and James Brown. And they're like, man, why you listen to that old stuff? You know? And, um, and I, you know, I just wasn't the cool kid. So, uh, you know, I got, I got bullied, you know, mercilessly. <laughs> and so when I started getting into James Brown and I didn't realize this till like a couple of years ago, James Brown's music actually, it, it shielded me. Every time I would listen to James Brown, it would be the equivalent of like Popeye eating his spinach and like his <laughs> arms would pop out and then he would get strong. You know, I mean, I wasn't driven to go beat up any of these bullies, but I would listen to James Brown. I would be like, the bullies can't bother me now. Like their words don't bother me. Mm -hmm. So his music actually put a force field around me mm. and I felt safe. I felt protected. I felt impenetrable you know and um the more i started to do research on james brown uh i realized how particularly with the song say it loud i'm black and i'm proud uh that song single-handedly um really focused the entire black and brown community uh, in terms of being on the same page with, with Black Pride, which was the phrase at that time in 1968. Um, uh, uh, America had gone through a horrendous year 
with with the assass the assassination of Dr. Martin mm -hmm. Luther King Jr. and also Robert F. Kennedy, Kennedy. Mm -hmm. and also uh, Vietnam was spinning more and more out of control, and there was this whole black consciousness that was going on at that time, and there were sort of you know I guess you could call them camps. You know, there was like the black radical camp, you know, the Nation of Islam and the Black Panthers. But then you also had uh, the uh, the civil rights movement led by King and, uh, the, you know, the SCLC and the NAACP, uh, people like Whitney Young and, and people like that. So uh, they all could agree that the song that will bring us all together that will actually break down these so-called camps was say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And for that, uh, I always deeply admired James Brown that one, like one song could uplift so many people and make them shake their head and go, yeah, you know what? I am black and I'm proud, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, little kids start throwing their fist in the air and, you know, calling themselves black because, uh, you know, our people, we always reinvent ourselves. So we had gone from, you know, uh, Negro, uh, uh, color to Negro, and, and now we were black. And it's funny how things change because you talk to people who might be in their 80s, uh, or even better yet, in their 90s if they're still with us. In the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, if you call somebody black, that was the equivalent of calling them the N-word. Mm -hmm. And it's funny just how things change because like no one in our generation or even our parents would ever know that because the the phrase black meant the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time uh, uh, James Brown may say it out, I'm black and I'm proud. So uh, the way that song uplifted all black people from across the board men women and children um i always admired that about him yeah so through you know explaining uh talking about james brown and his song i'm black and i'm proud uh you really show how music does uplift you know yeah. and artists and performers do uplift the spirit and really cause people to have a positive self-esteem yeah. So in that regard, how do you see the role of musicians and artists in inspiring people yeah. uh, to make change and to make positive social change? I feel like ultimately people follow examples. Mm. Uh, you can hear the lyrics of a song. You can see the video. Uh, but ultimately, I feel like people follow examples so when they see somebody like a james brown or a michael jackson or uh or whitney houston or or, or or switch it up a little bit somebody like a kathleen battle or leontine price or an odetta or uh uh, uh joe williams or uh or Wynton marcellus you know mm -hmm. or branford marcellus they're watching how you act mm -hmm. as well as what your music is. Um, 
So I feel like the people who have really uplifted us are artists who they do their best to, um, you, yeah, well, well, let me say, I think this era, this current era, the idea of separating the person from their art has been under fire, um, particularly uh, mm -hmm. with this younger generation. Mm -hmm. And without getting too much in, into that, I, I, I have to say that uh, I feel like when you see an artist like uh, a Prince, rest his soul, uh, yes, Prince's music was great, but Prince really spent a lot of his last, I would say the last 20 years of his life uh, mentoring, actually going out there and keeping in touch with younger musicians to show them the ropes, not to take advantage of them, but to show them the ropes and, and, the, and to teach them um, ab about the business. Um, same thing with uh, uh, somebody like Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones has been doing that for years, mentoring mm -hmm. all, a whole bunch of young producers. Um, so I guess I'll say all of that to say that your music may do one thing, but mm -hmm. how you carry yourself, ultimately, I think that's what people are going to be, they're going to be tuned into that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's how, that's certainly how I've been inspired through the years. It's by watching not only the music that they put, that artists produce, but also how they act or what they do. Exactly, exactly. Um, which is why uh, the world was so absolutely crushed um, when the Bill Cosby scandals started happening. There was nobody more beloved and, you know, and, you know somebody we wanted to emulate more than Bill Cosby, but uh, we see where that is now. <laughs> yeah, uh, and with that being said, going to your earlier conversation about separating the artists right. of the art from the individual. Yeah. Do you think that's possible? Like, can we still have admiration and respect for somebody like a Bill Cosby or some of these younger artists who are right. really putting out uh, just to be frank, uh, just some <laughs> just really <laughs> outrageous content yeah, yeah. For, for money and fame, right? Right. 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 Uh, but yet they so-called can act another way. What what's your, yeah. what's your what's your take on that? You know something. It, it's uh, I used I've always been very conscious not to become one of these. I mean, because now that I'm finally in my fifties, I now get to use the phrase. Uh, I get to authentically use the phrase quote and quote unquote these young people <laughs> <laughs> so i've always tried to be very conscious to say that if i see something that young people are doing and i go mm, i don't know about that you know uh i stop saying i stop blaming them i start thinking mm. well their parents are us their parents are our age mm-hmm Mm -hmm. What did we or did or what didn't we do mm. to cause, you know, this 
uh, this inspiration for the for Gen Zs to completely disassociate themselves from anything that happened before them. Like the world starts now. And we're like, uh, no, the world is a lot older than you. You know what I mean? You're gonna have to accept some things happen thousands of years before you were born. There's been human behavior before you were born and it's going to continue after you're dead, you know. Um so with that with that being said, um I remember being a kid and hearing stories about, you know, again, let's pick James Brown because he was always my hero. And you hear stories like, well, James Brown is one of the greatest artists in the world, but he's a very mean, abusive, uh, uh, hair trigger temper person. And, uh, I thought, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest baseball players in history, but had a horrible drinking problem, uh, was known as a womanizer. It's like, okay, whatever. Frank Sinatra, another person who I admired and looked up to. Oh, well, you know, Frank was down with the mob. You know, he hung with nothing but gangsters. You know, I'm like, well, you know, they ain't nothing. Everybody I know hang out with gangsters, you know. Um, So somewhere along the way, you start, learning things about people you look up to and admire, Mm -hmm. you know, and you ask yourselves, okay, well, does that mean I should not be inspired by their art anymore? Like Mm -hmm. does James Brown's music sound different to me now that Mm -hmm. I know that he was a very mean and, and sometimes abusive person. Um, my intelligence says no, right. My, my intelligence says, um his music does not sound any different to me i still get inspired by listening to soul power i mean look james brown cussed me out personally and i mean badly you know what i mean um he was not very nice to me for a long time but like i gathered that because he was from that old school you know southern man you know he comes from that school well you know like you know men don't cry you know he punch you in the chest and you know Uh I suck it up, you know, Um, but I think once he saw that I actually really did love him and I was a serious musician, I think he was kind of like, oh, okay, all right, so you're serious, you know, and then then we were cool, totally cool. Um, Freddie Hubbard, whose band I played in for many years, um, he had a lot of personal demons. Did it make me love him any? Well, you know, Freddie would act out sometimes. And when he would act out, I would like, I would leave. I'd be like, look, I, he's really breaking my heart and embarrassing everybody right now. Um, so with, with him, I always wanted him to figure out how to get himself some help. But I still loved him for what he was able to create with his music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but when it comes to these new, you know, you know, I think of somebody like R. Kelly, you know, um, to me, that's a little different. You know what I mean? Um, you punch somebody in the mouth or, you know, you you have a drug problem or you have a, a, a drinking problem. 
uh, okay, whatever. Like millions, billions of people around the world have that problem. Uh, but you know, when you start talking about pedophilia and rape and stuff like that, obviously your music starts sounding different. <laughs> if I have the desire to hear it at all mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think throughout the years, maybe there was a lot of bad behavior with a lot of people, most of whom will probably never know because, you know, you just couldn't, you couldn't spy on people and, and out them so mm-hmm. quickly like you can now. Yeah. You know? So true. Uh, I do think a lot of bad behavior is now, I, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are, you know, before they, do some bad behavior they they're taking a step back like well okay well now wait a minute mm-hmm. let, let, let me rethink this you know mm-hmm. uh but at the same time uh i do feel like sometimes the 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 modern era of social media in many ways has become weaponized and that part i'm not i'm not down with like you know talk about you know inspiring people in a in a positive way um i find sometimes there's too much bickering there's too much anger and i don't mean like justifiable anger i just like mean people being catty and mean and not really holding each other up to uh to a spiritual a spiritual standard particularly on social media which is what drives our culture these days you know i think people use it more as like a weapon you know, like uh, it's it's hard to find positivity online these days. Uh, so the people who kind of stay off the grid and just do their work and do their work, like 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 you, like what you're doing right now, uh, this what you do will catch on. I think to some some young sister at home listening to this. I don't know, Dr. Ramona Houston. Let me check her out some more. I really like the way she speaks to people. I like the way she carries herself. She's, you know, she's very smart. She's she's very cool on top of everything else. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think your example, ultimately, you know, to bring it all the way back to example, I think that's what ultimately will uplift people, not outing people on Twitter, not cussing people out, not not being belligerent um you know sort of uh the self-grandizing on on social media with 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 hashtags and all that kind of stuff like um what you say you are means nothing to compare it to you know what you do so people get passes on social media all the time for you know putting up their little slogans and what they believe in putting on their putting on their little t-shirts and all that but how do you actually live your life that's what matters the most so speaking of that you know in terms of your work and how you live your life what do you really want to see as your legacy in music and uh in the arts and life like what how when when you talk about your musical legacy yeah. and uh what 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 do you in how do you want to see yourself inspiring and impacting others um you know when i first started to make the decision that i wanted to be 
a professional musician, uh, a professional jazz musician. Um, my goal was to just be around as many great jazz legends as I could to soak up their knowledge and, and their wisdom. Like I couldn't wait to be around people like Betty Carter and, uh, uh, you know, Freddie Hubbard as, as, as crazy as he could be. Uh, yeah, he was a legend. So I wanted to be around Freddie Hubbard and Betty Carter and, and, and McCoy Tyner and Chick Corea and, uh, Carmen McRae and all these people and, um, and, and just learn from them. And so when I see these young musicians now, I urge them, look, don't worry about how many Instagram followers you got. Don't worry about how many Twitter followers you got. Don't worry mm -hmm. about who left a comment on your Facebook page. Keep your head down and practice and do your best to be around the musicians who can teach you how it's done. Mm -hmm. um, take whatever ideas you think you have that might be fresh and talk to some older musicians. Say, hey, this is, uh, you know, I've been doing this. And, you know, and that older musician will probably give you a combination of, you know, that's a great idea. Or, you know, that idea was uh, <laughs> done like 50 years ago, you know. Um, so I guess my legacy is somewhere like, um, you know, I always admired Art Blakey because he he specifically would change his band every mm -hmm. four years. Mm -hmm. And each of his bands would be like whoever the next up and coming young cats were, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Betty Carter did the same thing. Ray Brown did the same thing. So uh, I've certainly in the last 10 years, I've tried to put myself in that role of uh, trying to get some young cats in my band. And by cats, I don't just mean dudes. You know, I've, I've had many women in my band over the last decade. And I love seeing so many and, and it's particularly with, with jazz house kids with uh what melissa and i have been able to do uh we have a whole program just for girls you know and it's been wonderful to see like this this uptick in uh young female musicians really out there just they're driven inspired and be like we gonna get that gig now <laughs> you know and i'm like hey come on let's do it that's great to hear. That's great to hear about that program. Yeah, it's called so, Chica Power. Chica Power. I like yep. that. Yep. I like that. So do you have any advice for up and coming musicians in terms of, um, you know, really making their own unique impact on the music world and on society? Um, a lot of younger musicians ask the question like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm searching for my individuality. I'm trying to find my voice. That's another popular phrase. I'm trying to find my voice. Uh, my advice to all these young musicians that you already have your voice. Mm -hmm. You just have to learn how to accept it and, and hone it. And you, and you do that by simply living and getting more experience. The more that you, the more that you play, the more that you get out there and uh perform on your instrument in front of people slowly but surely you just start to realize what your voice is so you know 
we were told this when we were kids, and we have to tell the young musicians now, don't force it. It's going to come. Believe me, it's going to come. It might come to some quicker, but your voice is going to reveal itself uh, to, to you. We already hear it, you know. Um, so I would say just don't rush it. Try to put yourself in a situation where you can play with as many different people as possible. Um, uh, you know, I think being out of your comfort zone is another way to kind of quickly find, to, to hear your own voice and accept what your voice is. Because uh, when you're forced to do something you're not used to doing, you got to dig a little deeper inside yourself as an artist. Like, I don't, I don't really do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, well. I remember doing a gig with uh, Ricky Skaggs and the Kentucky Thunder. Uh, we played a gig somewhere in the middle of Missouri. Uh, I'm very sure I was the only black person in the entire arena. And um, uh, other than a couple of players from the St. Louis Cardinals. And it, it was a benefit for... Uh, Tony LaRusso's uh, Animal Foundation. And uh, Ricky Skaggs was the headliner. And I was playing with Bruce Hornsby. And Ricky said, uh, hey, man, why don't you come sit in on a couple of songs? I'm like, man, I, I don't know no bluegrass music, you know. He's like, oh, man, you'll hear it. It's just, you know, it's, it's simple. I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? <laughs> so uh, I said, well, I'm just going to stand next to the bass player and follow him, you know. We'll just play the same bass part, you know. Ricky says, no, come up here. I was like, what? He said, man, come up here with me. You you play like the second fiddle part. It's like, are you out of your mind? So I'm up there playing violin parts on the bass. I'm all like way up high like this. And uh, I was so out of my element. I had no idea what I was doing. And Ricky looks at me, he's like, all right, Christian, you got it. Take a solo. <laughs> like, what? And uh, I had to make something happen, you know. And the longer the song got, I was like, okay, you know what? I think I got it, you know. And then we played another song. And I was like, oh, all right, I see. All right, cool. You know, but being out of your element really forces you to start call, like trusting yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. And knowing that if you do make a wrong decision, you can recover because mm -hmm. you're going to make wrong decisions. There's, mm -hmm. there's no way around that. So, you know, just let it, you know, just don't force it. It's going to come. So, Christian, uh, I'm curious to know uh, what your strategies are for college success here on the empowerment zone we're big advocates for higher education so what school or schools did you attend what was your major majors and your degree or degrees and what strategy or strategies would you give students to ensure that they're successful in college mm -hmm. that's a very good question i went to college at the juilliard school um, I was a classical bass major or, or double bass performance major, uh, as it was called. And as fate would have it, I started working as a professional pretty much right before the end of my freshman year. Mm. So I was only at Juilliard for one year and I reluctantly left college because I really enjoyed the college experience. 
Um, but I was now getting a chance to go on the road with people like Roy Hargrove and Freddie Hubbard and actually make some money and get my feet wet doing what I ultimately wanted to do. I just wound up doing it three years earlier than planned. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I think the biggest, uh, uh, for me, success starts with having a goal. Mm. I'm surprised that I meet a lot of people who actually don't know what they want in life. You know, well, if I do this, this might happen, or hopefully this might happen, or maybe I'll just do this. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if you can actually figure out exactly what it is that you want to do, I think you're more than halfway to success because you have something that you something specific that you're aiming for. And if you really, really wanted that bad, I, I firmly believe in, um, uh, there's no such thing as a bad return on, on an investment when it, mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to career, mm -hmm. like if you want something that badly, you will get a return on that investment. My biggest, my biggest investment was James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> That is great advice, Christian. Um, make sure you are clear on your goals so that yeah. you can have a specific aim of what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. Thank you so much, Christian. You've been great. Dr. Houston, you are amazing. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song. NADWorks, digital support. And, of course, our featured guest, 